Before we get started, there's something I'm really excited to share with you. It's no secret that we think diversifying your income is incredibly important. One way that we do it is by investing in rental properties. We've done a ton of research, interviewed experts, and invested over $100,000 of our own money in income-producing rental properties. I am proud to announce that we're launching Rental Properties for Passive Investors. It's a course on exactly how you can passively invest in rental properties. Like our podcast, it's incredibly actionable and details exactly how we've both purchased and managed our rental properties. It also includes a year of investable, the analysis tool we use to make sure the rental properties we purchase are actually profitable. Finding the deal is half the battle. You need to know your numbers to make a profitable investment. We're running a pre-sale for $100 off. Head over to listenmoneymatters.com slash REI to learn more. That's listenmoneymatters.com slash REI for $100 off rental properties for passive investors. Hey, what is going on, everybody? And welcome to Listen Money Matters. Life gave us lemons, so we made margaritas, got drunk, and realized life gave us more than just lemons. <laughs> <laughs> my name is Thomas, and I am here, as always, with my good friend, Andrew. Andrew, how are you, and what are you drinking? Mm, good, I, am, sir. I am so good, because I've been drinking with you all day, and then we took a break where I finished half of my closing beer. Okay. Which is... You mean closing beers or like, oh, is this the other half? It's a 12% ABV one. So this is okay. my closer right here. <laughs> it's called uh, Even More Jesus from Evil okay. Twin Brewing. And like when you pour it, it is dark as night, like darker than a Guinness. Uh, oh, but it's, 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 it's an Imperial Stout, but it's so good. Sweet. Mm. Cool. I, I did notice actually, that you have a beer. I do, and I poured it into one of my fancy tall Pilsner glasses. Oh, yeah. Uh, this is called Sour Monkey, and it is a sour ale. Um, and I looked at the bottle as I was pouring it, and then I went, oh, it's 9.5%. <laughs> <So>, <laughs> well, you're I halfway done, too, so maybe you're a bit happy it's as true. well. I'm a little bit happy. We've been I don't know, just shooting the shit, talking about business for the past mm. hour. We always end up doing business. And then problem? I'm coming to New York in like four days. Shoot so that. then we're going to like do that for an entire week. <laughs> <laughs> I have been to New York City once a year for the past six years. I like calculated that the other day. And this will be my second time there this year. Like, I don't know why it just, it seems to just be like, I don't think I ever want to live there, but it just pulls me in. There's often. something about the streets and just kind of. I think it's because you live there. <laughs> like every time I've gone, you're except, making me feel special. Except like the first two times. The first time was for Blog World, and the second time was for um, Anna had a cousin graduating from college there, and we had like did a big graduation party. But every year since then, I believe it I've was just the free alcohol, right? To hang out with you, <laughs> yeah. For some reason, like the first time was like a Betterman event, and then I came there for to film so, a TV show and hang out with you and all these things. I'd say I've always had fun when you're when you're here, but I've also always been working. This will be the first time that you're coming yeah. that I'm not working so we can So now we can just gallivant. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so so all what the same things will happen. happen. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be 
Anyway, this week's catchphrase, guys, comes from DMark511 on Twitter. So thank you for that catchphrase. If any of you guys have catchphrases for us, we are on Twitter at Money Matters Man. So follow us over there and send us your catchphrases or send them to us via email. We are listenmoneymatters at gmail.com. And you can also send us your questions, whether it's about debt or investing or the combination of the two, which is exactly what we're talking about in this episode. I think this, you're telling me this is the biggest question we get. Ever. So for years, the the single biggest question that I've been getting is, should I pay down my debt? Should I invest? And like just deviations of that, be it like credit card, student loan, mortgage, whatever. And I, I always thought like I would just like do the math and we'll do an episode. And four years later, I did the math. <laughs> took Four me a while years later yeah we have a spreadsheet this time don't we mm. we have spreadsheets we have links i haven't I have looked a, too closely at this spreadsheet yet i created an if then if this then that framework so like the, the goal is like i don't care like what kind of debt you have yeah. or what your situation is like i wanted like one framework that'll apply no matter what Gotcha. Cool. Based on logic, not emotion. Some emotion. Some. Okay. Okay. Fine. Some emotion. Yeah. I don't know it. I don't know the order of when these episodes go live. But I mean, mm-hmm. we just interviewed Brock, who paid off his mortgage real fast, and you know he had some good arguments as to why he did that rather than invest in the stock market, even though his rate was pretty low. And as a student, I also paid off all my student debt before graduating instead of investing because emotionally I wanted that gone. There's, you know, some benefits to that. So I do want to talk about the math here, but it's, it's worth talking about the so I'll tell you side what, of it. One, I'll make sure his episode goes live first so okay. everyone will have heard or could hear at this point. Yeah. And I think that what... Brock did in and essentially just to give people like a quick thing, he paid off his mortgage in like five years, which is insane. But the yeah. the, the thing is that he focused. Is a lot of people yes. put a little bit in a lot of places and try and achieve like four goals at once. Yep. And so while this is highly math based or or logic based, if you just do one thing hardcore, I think like you will it'll work out for you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I have found that it, it's tough to be that fanatical and that focused about investing. Mm. Maybe you know, maybe if you have like people in the fire community have that retirement goal, early retirement goal, you know, maybe if you've got that and you're very, very attached to it, then it's easier. But for most people in that community, that's, you know, a 20 year goal potentially. This was five years. That's so, why Laura and I went up skewing so. towards like income is because you could actually appreciate that. Whereas like, not yeah. that, not that like saving and build that's super important, but right. it's hard to, like you said, like yeah. attribute like value to that. Yeah. It's tough. It's for the so, future. Yeah. It's for the future. All right. So let's, let's break down this question, start answering it. Uh, and it looks like you have like a sort of formula or framework kind of built out here. Um, and this is, yeah, I think this is actually a little more in depth than the framework that I've been giving out on my podcast. So basically, whenever people ask me this question, there's like a simple answer in my head. First, figure out the emotional side of it. 
Mm-hmm. Are you the kind of person who wants your debt killed, gone, just out of there? If so, that's your brain, you know? And then perhaps pair that with like how risk adverse you are. Like if you're like a super yeah. conservative person, then then you align with like just extreme debt reduction at all costs versus yes. if you're like grow at all costs, then you're on the other side. Yeah, I have what I call the 5% rule where if you have debt that is above 5%, you should pay all of that off before you start investing. Of course, after you've established a uh, emergency fund and a checking amount, a checking account buffer. Mm-hmm. Now I know this is something I'm curious to know your thoughts on now versus in the past, because in the past we've always said, build your checking account up to two and a half to three times your monthly expenses. Um, Martin and I just did a budgeting episode on College Info Geek, which will definitely be live by the time this goes out. And I said, build your checking account buffer up to one times your monthly expenses plus a $500 emergency fund, just because I know so many people who it would take them forever to build up three, like three times before they start investing. Like it would take so long. Like if you work at a restaurant and you know, you've got a hundred dollars of discretionary income at the end of the month, mm-hmm. you know, it could take you a year to build just one X, you know, I, I don't want to be like assuming that everyone brings home as much discretionary income as you and I do. So that's why I said, all right, if you have one X, then you've got a month long runway plus your emergency fund. Mm. And it, once you start investing or, you know, doing debt acceleration past that, you know, you've got some time to react if something happens. Whereas if so, you're trying to wait till three, you know, three X, you could be taking three years to do that. Three, three X is a lot. Um, and, and to a degree, I agree with you. And I guess I've slightly skewed towards more conservative, having like quit my job in that. I think whether, whether you look at like all these like awesome business people like Steve Jobs or Bezos or Warren Buffett or whatever, you just like kind of think broadly about yourself where as long as you can keep your focus on the big picture and the long term, like you will do well then. And like when you get mired in the day-to-day details, like you, it's really difficult to get ahead. And so a lot of what we talk about is like kind of putting processes in place and same thing you with college info geek about like habits and stuff like that. And I think that, um, even though it may take a while to build a meaningful buffer, having that buffer and then having something happen and not have your focus removed from the big picture, I think is perhaps the win there. Okay. So, it, so, so in this thing, I said 1.5 times, I guess, you which said is 1.5. like straddling the middle. Oh, I see it there. Okay. Okay. So that makes sense. Yeah. It's just like, it's, it's a buffer that, you know, you at least have 30 days. Mm. At exactly. Least. You know, plus yeah. your emergency fund. I think the emergency fund is separate from that because the buffer, you don't treat it the same as the rainy day fund that's like locked away. Yeah. You, know, you should ideally have it. So yeah, you, you get that buffer, you get that emergency fund. For me, it's like if you've got debt over 5%, pay that off as fast as you can. And I can see you've got some additional tiers with some actions you can take um, to do that faster. And if, you, if you've got debt below 5%, Assuming you are the person who is more interested in growth uh, than paying off debt faster, as long as you're comfortable holding that debt, I think anything below 5% can be paid at the minimum rate of payment while you are also investing. My reasoning for that 
is that you get an average of 7% returns in an index fund. Mm -hmm. And I like that 2% spread between 5% and 7%. That's kind of like your safety buffer zone where you're very likely to come out ahead, even if by one cent. Mm. So that's, that's my thought on it. So, so I agree. And I think I, I agree. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> I had a thing, but actually uh, you said, you said it better. Okay, cool. And so, I've had a lot of even more Jesus. You've had a lot of even more Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Listen to two drunk guys on the internet until you had a either be in debt or invest. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, they weren't drunk when they came up with this plan. It's so, true. And you know what? I'm not drunk. I've had half a beer. No, me neither. I, I could I withstand quite a lot. Yeah. But we've to, got dude, a framework that's more in de- uh, more in de- more detailed than just that. Okay, 5%. you're you're cut off. <laughs> <laughs> I told you. It's okay. Five percent. So so uh, just to kind of like um, give you an idea before we dive into it, yeah. the, the the idea was that. Uh, it would be like an if this, then that framework. So you kind of go down the list top to bottom and the first thing applies, you do that. And they're they're in order of priority of importance. And then um, some of them have like sub ifs. So like you may fall into number three if you have zero in your checking account. Yeah. I'm sorry. You may fall into, let's get into it. And I think they'll understand. And and just to be real clear, this whole, framework listed out will be in the show notes and yep. maybe possibly we'll make something cool and pretty out of it but you could listen and then go to the show notes in the podcast app or on our site and just kind of see i think it'll be easier even to look yeah exactly this reminds me of like try catch statements yes it, it is i'm a coder and this is from a coding mindset of like yeah. how if i was to build a program to do debt it would be this yeah, and remember, while we're going through this framework here, you're looking at each individual loan you have and applying the framework to it. It's mm-hmm. not like the average uh, interest rate of your debt. It's each loan taken individually because you may have a credit card loan, you know, a credit card balance at 20%, and you may have a student loan at, at 5%. What you're going to do with those is very different. Yes. So our first little if-then, if your interest rate on any loan you have is above 10%, like straight up refinance that. And that's just, uh, so I, I labeled each thing like on its goal and here it's cost reduction. So we talked yeah. about uh, refinancing. I don't want to get into the thick of it. Like listen to another episode or whatever. Like why pay five times more for something? Yes. When you can just pay like one X and that's essentially what refinancing is. Now Reducing I do have, the cost. I have a couple of things I want to say about refinancing before, you know, because somebody... You said this was our biggest question. So this is very likely to be some people's very first episode they ever listened to of the podcast. True. I don't want them going to make a decision on refinancing before, you know, knowing the facts. So definitely we can link to some of our refinancing episodes with more detail in the show notes. Just keep in mind, number one, um, you probably aren't going to have a federal student loan above 10%. Like I don't think one exists. But just right. remember, if you ever look into refinancing a federal student loan, there are protections that you lose if you don't refinance it through the federal government. Uh, the second thing is you can refinance, like you can go through a formal refinancing process with a bank. A lot of people do that with their mortgage, but there's an additional way to refinance in quotes where essentially you just go to a place like Lending Club or Earnest. 
you get a loan from them for say like seven or eight percent and you use that money to pay down say your credit card balance mm. so now and your credit card i guess that's the out. thing is it's geared towards credit cards yeah or or more of, of the ancillary if you've got yeah. debt above 10 percent, it's probably credit card debt like, yeah or i don't know a loan from the mob or a payday loan or something <laughs> go to lending club get a loan from them pay off that big you know that high interest loan and now you now your debt is you know it's still the same dollar amount but it's at seven percent it's with lending club the one and, caveat to keep mm. in mind with that is lending club has what they call an origination fee on a mm. loan so this is you know say it's like a it's a one thousand dollar loan it's a seven percent interest rate but there's also i don't know a fifty dollar origination fee that origination fee is not included in the interest rate but you have to think that is effectively raising the interest. And I don't know the exact math. Here, it's increasing like, the cost of yes, the of loan. And so if you were to compare your first loan at a higher rate versus your new one at a lower with right. closing, the new one has to be net less. Let's just for say it to make sense. Yeah. Let's just say it's a one year loan at an annual uh, percentage rate of 7%. So you're going to end up paying $70 for that loan. But if there's a $50 origination fee, what you actually pay is $120, so the effective interest rate is 12%. That's I, over 10%. So, I mean, yeah. I'm not saying it's going to be 50 bucks on $1,000. It's probably going to be lower, but just keep any additional costs that aren't included in that interest rate in mind and calculate a real effective interest rate. Make sure that the spread between that and what in the debt you're refinancing is big enough to make it worth doing. I also want to say, and I almost regret that I have to say this or feel I have to say, is that like there's like this noise like refi like refinancing is bad or there's something with the blah, blah, blah with the bank. And I know that we both heard some noise anti-refinance. So I just want to be clear that this is what I would call a math play. So oh, if yeah. you have like some ridiculous emotions or believe in some sort of fantasy scenario, you could do whatever you want. But when it comes to math and we're dealing with numbers, refinancing uh, either mathematically makes sense or it doesn't. And that's just yeah. the end of the story. Yeah, exactly. So that is for debt that is over 10%. Now mm -hmm. we go down to number two step in the framework. If your initial debt interest is between seven and 10, then you want to calculate if your refinancing makes sense. So this is where you're going to take into account those origination fees, anything like mm -hmm. that, because debt between seven and 10%, you're likely to run into a scenario where a, a thing like an origination fee actually would make the refinance loan more expensive than the original debt. Exactly. You like you may not be reducing your rate enough with the cost of getting the refinance for it to make mm -hmm. sense. Above 10, like I couldn't imagine a scenario where, that, where it wouldn't make sense. Yeah. Um, but, but if it was between seven and 10, you want to do the math and we will link to calculators. There's a billion online. It's, it's super simple. Yes. Um, and it's either a yes or no type thing. Cool. So step three, uh, if you have $0 in your checking account. So some people have no money and they want to know if they should tackle their debt or invest. And in this case, I, I say neither. Yes. Instead, you're getting a 1.5 times your monthly expenses buffer in your checking account. So, and the, the, the question that always comes up in this case is, well, what are my monthly expenses? Do I need to take the highest monthly expense, you know, highest month that I've had in the past 12 months or what? I don't know what your thoughts here are, but for me, it's like you take your debt minimums, 
you take your fixed expenses like your rent, your car payment, car insurance, and then you take the low end of your variable expenses. Mm. So, you know, some months I spend $400 on groceries, some months, uh, months I spend 250. All right, 250, take that number. Cuz look, if you have no income coming in, you're not tripling down on expensive things yeah, like you're, you're not even buying in a like cost carry gold butter <laughs> yeah you're you're in a cost-cutting mentality so you don't need to overcompensate there yeah i would skew like you said towards a low end or, or mm-hmm. at worst case like mid i i wouldn't overcompensate here yeah so let's just say you calculate all your numbers between your debt minimums your so minimum payments not any accelerated payments minimum payments your fixed fixed expenses like your rent and then groceries that are low and variable expenses that are low, you know, and in this scenario, I would say, okay, let's find a number where I cut Netflix and I cut Mm. my dumb expenses. Yeah. Let's just say that's a thousand dollars. Build your checking account up to $1,500 as a safety buffer. And I don't think you wrote this here, but also have, I think 500 bucks just put away in an emergency fund. And that's like, like if you need to buy a new, you know, tires, pay someone off or something, you know, <laughs> some sort of rainy day fund. You got to pay a deductible because you sprained your wrist at a barbecue or something playing ultimate frisbee, like whatever it is, just have 500 bucks put away. So, so, so I think it should be at least the 1.5 X should be at least 500. You know, it should be probably 1500 minimum, you know, depending on what your monthly thing is. And I just want to be clear, like in each step, the driver of the step. So, Mathematically, if it was straight math, you should probably be diving into debt or investing, but there's also this concept of risk where things change in the short term. Maybe the market crashes, maybe you lose your job or you have a health thing or something. And so this is a risk-focused rule where Hmm. keeping 1.5x monthly expenses so that like... You don't potentially lose out on certain investments because you have to pull out early or blah, blah, blah. This is more about stability. Exactly. Yeah. And so I'm actually, I'm looking at your framework here and I'm kind of smiling because um, the budgeting episode that I wrote out, like my little money pipeline is basically the same. Is it? <laughs> yeah. My money pipeline Because I've seen is- it. And I really I, like the I image you drew. But. I changed it a little mm-hmm. bit because I think originally my money pipeline said two and a half to three times your monthly expenses. And then it, the original money pipeline said pay off all debt before ever investing. Mm. So now I've changed it. I need to redraw it. Uh, it's, you know, expenses every month you're fixed and your variable that are low. You got to take care of those. You got to take care of debt minimums. You got to make sure your emergency fund is filled up and your checking buffer is filled up. And then at that point, you start to, based on your preferences, uh, split whatever's left over, you know, and give it certain percentages. Mm. So, like, this is the thing. I think number four, it says right here, if your post-refinance debt interest rate is above 7%, put 100% of excess cash into debt repayments. So my money pipeline is a little more nuanced Mm. than that step because it's like, okay, you can do debt acceleration or investing. That's where my little 5% rule comes in. But you also have to consider, you know, what do I need to save up for big things that are coming up in the future? If you're a student, I've got to buy $700 worth of textbooks in two months. Okay, maybe I should save mm-hmm. up for that. Or, you know, I really need to buy uh, some new shocks for my cars or my car, so, you know, in a few I'll months. Tell you so what, that's a big thing to save up I, for. I see that as kind of the 1.5 monthly expenses could... Um, 
uh, like some of that could be eaten there. And I guess we had done an episode at this point, like, I don't know, four years ago with Adam Carroll and we were talking about like debt and focusing and whatever. And, and he was like, well, you know, you need to focus on one debt because if you focus on like all five at the same time. It's like trying to toast bread with a flashlight. And yeah. that's super, that's super stuck with me. Because it makes yes. a ton of sense where like you're really – you're not making nearly the amount of progress you would if you focused. Mm-hmm. And so I really think that as long as you have the 1.5 months expenses set aside, you you just need to like no holds barred crush every post-refinance debt above 7%. That is it because those are really expensive debts and they're seriously sure. – cutting into your everything okay well so that, that's that's a decision to make right there yeah <laughs> you can you can ch- you can choose to consider your cash buffer in your checking account as mm. your savings for big things that are coming up you know semi-big things on a house um or you can put aside money for mm. that as well but yeah definitely do whatever you can to get rid of that post or you know that above seven percent debt so now we move on to step number five if your post refinance debt, uh, let's see here, debt term or completion at five years or less. So does that mean you're saying the the term is less than five years? Okay. Yeah. So maybe you have five years left on the student loan, on the mortgage. I guess okay. So really I got you, to- you are you are saying this to kind of get mortgages into their own category. Well, right? I guess the thing is, is like uh, when when pulled out into an extremely long time period, like 30 years, mm-hmm. investing makes sense. Average 7% a year, blah, blah, blah. But once you start to constrain the time frame, it is not so certain what you will make investing. And so in, in a short time ah, period, I yeah. think debt will always make more sense. Gotcha. Okay, cool. So for any loan, any loan that has a fewer than five-year timeline, if the interest rate is above 5%, then you put 100% of your excess cash into paying that debt down. Because it doesn't really make sense to invest on a five-year time period right now. Mm. Like, Get rid of your debt because in the next five years, the cumulative return of the market could be negative 10%. Who knows? Short yeah, time windows are very volatile and unpredictable. Whatever uh, can fail will fail. Yeah. If your interest rate is between 3 and 5%, then you use your risk profile. If you really want that debt gone, pay it off. If you are okay with a little bit of risk, then go ahead and invest and just focus on those debt minimums. And then anything below 3%, um, again, this is based on the way you feel about debt, but as long as you're okay with carrying it, you shouldn't invest. Because well, anything so- lower than 3%, you're getting a huge spread on the long-term average you'll get in the market. You know, at least 4%. So- a buy, like between three and five percent, we say risk profile. Where like, if you're a super conservative person and you're fearful of all things and everything, pay down your debt. Just do it. If yeah. if like you're you know 21 and the world is your oyster and you're gonna earn a million dollars in the future and you're doing great, invest because that's mm-hmm. your risk profile. Right in the middle, you know you just got to go one way or the other. The the part with a three percent under invest is. Uh, inflation is like 2%, 3%. And so at this point, like if your debt interest rates are 3% and inflation is 3%, technically your debt is free because mm. they, they negate out. Like the dollar is devaluing at the rate that your interest rates are. 
So you like it would be insane to not invest at anything below three percent. Three percent or below. Though I still kind of want to pay off my car loan, <laughs> even though it's two five percent. So again, there are gonna be people who want that mm. debt dead. You know, yeah. and uh, Brock was a good example of that, and now he's got all this excess cash. So I and mean, look, crushing thing, debt though. is never a bad thing. Crushing debt's never a bad thing, and this is the thing to remember: um, there is a difference between wanting to optimize for every dollar, mm-hmm. which this algorithm slash framework that we've built—that is what that is built to do, based on you know reasonable risk, things like that—and then there's also a lot of psychological benefits for some people to paying off all their debt now. Yeah. So if that's you, you know, feel free to say fuck the framework except for the refinancing parts and just kill your debt. And look, in Brock's example, getting this his mortgage crushed was what got his wife on board to build future wealth things. Yeah. So if that's what it takes, yeah. That's what it takes. All right. So in the final part of our framework here, if uh, after refinancing, the term of your debt is more than five years. So this is a long-term loan. This is where we get into the last part. So in this category, if the interest rate is before uh, is below 4%, then you want to invest. Because, again, your return is going to be higher than inflation, and infra- inflation basically makes that debt free. Yeah. You know, effectively. Now, realize that's that also affects your return. So it'll be like, oh, my debt's free, and I'm making 7%. Like, if you're going to say, my debt's free, then you're making 4%. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> you're still making money. Mm-hmm. If your interest rate is between four and seven percent, uh, then you follow the base financial theory. If your after-tax return on investments is greater than your after-tax cost of debt, then you should invest. So we're going to link to a calculator here, so mm-hmm. you could throw in some numbers on your own. But it is actually really simple um, to understand. So if you have your debt is five percent and your return is five percent, they would be equal. And so then it would be your choice to do whatever you want. But if your debt was 5% and your investing was earning 6%, any logical person would say, take the 6% over the 5%, Yeah. right? And so at this point, after we've gotten rid of all of the risk issues, the urgency, reducing cost, we're at a point where we're at the point where it's like, which number is higher? And uh, it comes down to the rate. And if it's, if it's tax-free or yeah. like if the, interest that you gain is tax-free or if the interest you pay is tax deductible Mm -hmm. and so the calculator essentially will calculate that for you cool sweet so yeah i mean does that kind of uh does that kind of cover the rest that you wrote here yeah i mean basically like uh tax deductible interest like your mortgage or student loans uh like their rate would pair well against things like uh, retirement accounts, right? If the if the 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 growth is tax free, so like IRAs, like Roths, right, and stuff like that. Uh, but in this scenario, like if you are conservative, again, go towards paying down debt, and if you're like young, risk hungry, invest. Yeah. Cool. So I mean that that is the framework. Um, what other questions do people have around this topic that that this doesn't answer, if anything? You know, beyond the fact that we've we've considered the emotional side of it, and we've mm. tried to work that in. So again, you know, the framework is the logical side. If you are emotional, go ahead and just pay that debt off. 
a uh, friend of mine, Sean McCabe, he's just like the most anti-debt person ever. And he's just like, fuck mm. debt. I'm going to kill it. I don't care. <laughs> and you know what? He does very well for himself. So there's, mm. there's not really like a huge downside to being that way. Um, you don't have to optimize like every dollar and that yeah. could even become like incredibly tiresome. Yeah. I've, I've maybe migrated slightly from that, mm-hmm. but, but I will say that, uh, when I was younger doing that has super paid off. Like I would not be anywhere near. I am if I didn't go like balls to the wall on that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, you know, like, I don't know even if this like, uh, comes across well as like something to listen to. Like you definitely have to check, uh, this out in, in writing and I guess apply it to your own situation. (laughs) I think that if you follow this, uh, you can't go wrong. Yeah, I think if you follow this, you pay off your debt as fast as possible without being reckless. Mm. And I mean, that's that's really all we can ask for. Would you qualify reckless as chugging an even more Jesus before recording this episode? <laughs> <laughs> Look, unless I uh, what's unless I had a transposition error somewhere, and I was like, if your initial debt is above one percent, you know, I don't think I said that. So, I think one beer is okay. <laughs> all right. <laughs> all I had to do was read your sober notes. So that's not too hard. I can achieve that. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't know that sour was so so potent. Mm. What's hey. the ABV on yours? It was nine and a half. Oh, right, right. Shit. Yeah. That I was just like, whoa. Dude, I need to find those. I've only found sours that are like four and five. A lot of times they're session sours, which I mean yeah. honestly, I would prefer because they're very good but yeah the sour monkey i don't know if they're like a denver oh i guess i have the most powerful tool known to man so i can look it up for you google ah (laughs) uh see victory brewing company i don't know where they are located victory beer company or brewing company um let's find out Victory Brewing is in Pennsylvania, actually. Mm. So you may actually have access to it. I would imagine if it's traveled all the way over. I've to- had plenty of Victory. They're delicious. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, just look for Sour Monkey. There you go. Mm. Anyway, I mean, I don't know how long this episode was, but I don't know if there's a whole lot more to say. Like it's pretty simple little algorithm to yeah. run through for your debt. Uh, so if you happen to want to read through this, definitely check out the show notes. Um, Almost any podcast app you're listening to this episode in will have. You could probably tap our faces and like the show notes will come up. For me, I got most apps I've tried. For me, I I use Pocket Cast, so I just swipe left and then there. I was going to say, you always swipe right for Listen Money Matters. Is that how how it works on Tinder? I I don't know. Yeah. Anyway. Check those show notes out. Um, you'll see the algorithm or the framework we have written out there, but there will also be links to the spreadsheet where you can actually put in your numbers and see amortization schedules and stuff. Mm-hmm. We have a couple of different calculators. So if you really want to see like what's the cost of your debt, what's the difference between investing and paying it off faster, we'll have those calculators linked up in those show notes. So guys, thank you for listening to this episode. Don't remember. I don't even know how long it was, but hopefully you guys found it helpful if you have questions about debt versus investing, and I know a lot of you guys do because it is the most common question we get, listenmoneymatters at gmail.com is our email address. And feel free to email us about basically anything else related to personal finance 
or anything else, they all go to Andrew. So, <laughs> <laughs> so he may he may berate me if he gets am, like animal control. Uh, I I love it. I love it. Actually, how do I get this raccoon off my off my porch? Actually, Help! when I worked in tech support in college, we got that as a call. Really? Yeah, some old lady called in. I think she was like an emeritus professor or something. She's like, "There's a raccoon on my porch. How do I get rid of it?" And we're like, "We're we're tech support. Uh, maybe <laughs> you have to call you know, raccoon. Throw support. some food off the porch, and it will probably chase it. Hmm. And there was a policy where if somebody called in with a question and it was not in our database. You had to write an article. So we had to write an article about how to get a raccoon off your porch. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Somebody got paid to do that. It's pretty funny. It's useful, man. Yeah. But yeah, you can email us with your questions. Uh, also, if you want to find our favorite resources for um, dealing with debt or investing more intelligently, you can go over to listenmoneymatters.com slash toolbox. It's where all those things are kept. So check that out. And we will see you next week's episode. Thanks for listening. Later, man. Later, dude. Please tell your friends about this show. (laughs) 